Hey everybody, this is Gary, and welcome back to yet another episode of Loosen Up the Offense, a podcast that definitely has a tagline, and that tagline is, hang loose, fuck nuts, no offense. Of course you remember, this is a podcast where every week we talk about one of two comic book series, either Rob Liefeld's Youngblood, or the seminal, <laughs> yeah, yeah, calm down, Ed. The seminal, it's a word, all right? The seminal series, <laughs> Geriatric Gangrene Jiu-Jitsu Gerbils. Storied franchise, <laughs> been around forever. You all know it, you all love it. I don't know why I'm telling you this. We do this every week. The kids love it. All right, pipe down, Ed. Uh, every week I'm joined by my good-for-nothing second cousin, Ed. Hey, everybody. He comes over. We usually split an eight ball and uh, talk about this comic book. This week, it's going to be a little bit different for a couple of reasons. First of all, wasn't able to get an eight ball this week. I'm sorry, Ed. I know you were looking forward to it. Yeah. What like to get do? all ramped up on that shit. But uh, look, my guy's doing a nickel and chino. Uh, unrelated beef. He oh. uh, sucker punched a police horse. Oh, um, no. Well, it's not his fault, all right? If you ask a cop if he's a cop, he has to tell you. Not his fault the horse can't talk. All right, he can't legislate that kind of Mr. Ed shit into existence. If that horse didn't want to get punched, he should have A, learned to talk, or B, not become a cop. I just don't think the horse had much say in the matter. Yeah, well, whatever. Point is, I don't have an eight ball. Oh, man. Yeah. Anyway, the other reason this week's a little bit different is, look... We've been covering geriatric gangrene jujitsu gerbils for a couple of years now. This is what, episode 127? Long time. 215? One of those numbers. I can't remember which. It's I a, always mix them up. It's more than 100. Yeah, I'd, I'd say 217. I, th I think, uh, let me check my notes. Yeah, some good Foley work there, Ed. Thanks. It's uh, 217. All right. The other reason this, this week's going to be a little different is, uh, like I said, we've been covering these gerbils for quite some time. Through various reboots and retcons, we've been trying to untangle their continuity. Uh, they've had various film franchises, which we've covered. And I feel like it's been so far removed from the original source material that it's time we maybe went back and took a look at where these gerbils first popped up. Mm. So for this week, we're going to take a look at uh, Geriatric Gangrene Jiu-Jitsu Gerbils number one. Number one? Yeah, from all the way back in 1986. I hear those are extremely hard to find. How did you get your hands on them? Oh, they are rare and relic. they are expensive. And uh, I'll tell you what I tell people when they ask me, Gary, where's your accent from? What are you, a fucking cop? You do not like the police. It's, it's complicated. Don't try to say anything incriminating. And also, I noticed you didn't answer the question. What are you, a fucking cop? Where? If you're a cop, you have to tell me. I don't want to get punched like that horse. Are you saying you're a cop? No, I'm no cop. All right, there we go. That's all I'm asking for. Okay. Uh, now, yeah, as to where I got this comic book, what are you, a fucking cop? I think we've uh, established that. Fair enough. Moving on. Okay. So, uh, let's get a little bit of background on this book. Sure. Geriatric Gangrene Jiu-Jitsu Gerbils, number one. Huge success, as we all remember. Blockbuster. Yeah. 
Now, a lot of people don't remember this, but when this came out, it caused such a splash in the comic book scene. It really did. It had so many uh, rip-off titles. Mm-hmm. You had your, your adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters. Your uh, hamster vice. Hamster vice, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Later got parodied by uh, Don Johnson and uh, Philip Michael Thomas mm-hmm. in their live-action series, Miami Vice. Right. Those two were both very popular, went on to have their own uh, spin-off TV shows and such. Very well written. Yeah, really. Superb. And, you know, that kind of talent just rises to the top. Not unlike this comic uh, that we're about to take a look at itself. Right to the torp. Yeah, yeah, getting, getting right up on there. But there were also some less successful ones. There was, of course, the uh, preteen, dirty gene, kung fu kangaroos. Not as good. Not as good. Still pretty good, mm-hmm. but not as good. That one had a cartoon, but that was pretty much it. And then, most people forget about this. And it actually came out a little bit before geriatric gangrene jujitsu gerbils. But there was a title called Teenage Mutant Ninja... I think it was Tortoises? Turtles. Turtles. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. It's uh, by a couple of guys out in New England, which I, I don't think I'm from. Tough to remember. It would take a detective. Yeah, mind your own fucking business. Mm-hmm. But uh, these two folks, uh, Eastman and Laird, I believe their names were, they started a series called uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja What's-Its. Mm-hmm. And uh, it came out just a little bit before these guys, which, like I said, people forget. But uh, when we take a look at this series, the first page of it, we, we of course all remember the gerbils were created by uh, Tony Basilicato, a popular household name at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, we can talk a little bit about his background once we get into this. Real auteur. In a lot of ways, and a skilled puppeteer as well. Um, Wait, doesn't that... What that means? Auteur? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, puppeteer. Okay. But he starts this off with a letter saying that uh, he initially intended this series to be a uh, a satire of the tortoises. What? Yeah, which is weird, because who'd even heard of them? It's almost like it's the other way around. One would think. One would think. But uh, nah, apparently. But then he, he decided to take it in its own direction. And uh, it's kind of ironic that he's talking about how he feels that there are going to be too many parodies of these uh, tortoises. Um, or, or turtles, I mm-hmm, guess. Because mm-hmm. he's doing a parody. Yeah, but then there were so many parodies of his work later on. You know? I guess that would be frustrating as an auteur. Yeah, yeah. These puppeteers, they, uh, they got it rough there. But it's kind of an interesting letter that it starts off with. Uh, I guess he knew these uh, Eastman and Laird folks. He mm. had another title. Uh, it was called uh, Prime Slime Tales. Oh, with the cat. Yeah, there was a cat in there. And uh, there was a... Uh, he did a little favor to this uh, Peter Laird fella. Mm-hmm. And uh, let him do a pinup of the characters from Pl- Prime Slime Tales with his, uh, with his turtle friends. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, didn't spark the success for them that it, I think uh, Peter was hoping it would. But still, kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, Basilicato's background, as I said, he started off as a puppeteer. He was actually a background performer in the uh, 1979 Muppet movie. He did uh, some of the puppets in that. Uh, none of the name characters didn't get a... A ton of uh, ton of screen time, but mm-hmm. uh, it's even tough to tell which characters he was doing. Probably, maybe like a background Sweetums if you had a group scene, something like that. Big one. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's kind of neat. He also did some other puppeteer work. Uh, he was in the uh, 1981 Showtime Halloween special called uh, The Crown of Bog. The what? Crown of Bog. 
The Crown of Bog? Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. Yeah, and that was created by a fella, maybe not as famous as Tony Basilicato, but maybe you've heard of him. Uh, it's called uh, Paul Fusco, who created a character called Alf. Oh, really? Yeah, Tony Basilicato had a much larger role in uh, Crown of Bog. He actually starred in it, and he co-wrote it. It's a 1981 uh, TV special. Didn't do so great. But, uh, yeah, him and his uh, buddy who created Alpha did that before uh, Tony found his calling in comic books. No kidding. Yeah, and also, uh, late in the 90s, he wrote a couple of children's books. How those two? Eh, not so good. Oh. I mean, they're not the geriatric gangrene jujitsu gerbils. Can't top the uh, GGJGs. No, man. I, I mean, probably wrote some other stuff. I mean, we all remember, like, the Pizza Hut tie-in comics and the, uh... Action. Action figures would mm -hmm. come with these little background books. So I, I think he may have ghost had some of those ghosts written for him, but his name was on it. I mean, the Basilicato name is just franchised all over the place. It's tough to tell what he actually worked on and what, uh, was just getting his stamp of approval. That thing was like a license to print money throughout, like, the 90s and early 80s. Yeah. Probably the late 80s more. I don't know. I think they were still making movies even up to a few years ago. Yeah, well, they got the new reboot that's coming out pretty soon. I'm looking forward to that one. Oh, wow. Yeah, I understand it's going to be uh, Clint Eastwood, mm -hmm. Morgan Freeman. Mm -hmm. Wait, is Costner in that? Costner is, uh, it's confusing. It, it's actually, he signed on to play Zeke mm -hmm. in the reboot, mm -hmm. but Zeke's rights are still tied up with uh, Fox Pictures. Mm. Whereas the rest of the franchise got bought out by Disney. So they're going to have to CGI him in. I don't know why that works with a loophole. And then, of course, Kaja is going to be played by uh, Scarlett Johansson. Oh, it's not going to be Giamatti again? <laughs> no, no. Well, they did the all Giamatti title where it was just Giamatti. It was like his clumps mm -hmm. where he played all of them and also Dr. Meltdown. Mm -hmm. I mean, Giamatti's played Dr. Meltdown in every version that's been filmed of it. And it, it, obviously it's the role he was born to play. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, of course our listeners remember all of this shit. It was a freaking blockbuster. But, yeah, there was that reboot where Giamatti played every role in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it, was, it I thought he did a good job. Sure. I mean, I hear it's tough to do that sort of, uh, how do you call it, the virtual acting like uh, like Andy Serkis Oh, with, with the green screen and yeah. where they put the little, uh, what's it, golf balls all over the green suit. And you got to mm -hmm. move around, flapping your arms like a freaking moron. He had to do that for at least three moving characters. Yeah, he did it for three of them. And then uh, the fourth one, um, he just uh, did a lot of prosthetic makeup. Mm -hmm. I mean, Giamatti at that time was a method actor, too. So he had to live as a gerbil and as an old person. As an old gerbil. As an old gerbil for, like, I think two years. Oh, man. I mean, originally the role was supposed to go to uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. They had a really similar technique. Mm -hmm. uh, Giamatti also trained as a cobbler for two years for the role. I think he just got confused on that one. A cobbler? Yeah. Like a shoemaker? No, like a piece of pie. Sorry, your accent's a little... Kind of comes and goes. It's hard to... <laughs> yeah, it'll do that. It's difficult because sometimes I forget where I'm from. What are you, a cop? No cop. That's my yeah, catchphrase. Everybody loves it. Pretty good. That's <laughs> pretty good. Anyway, you ready to get into this comic book? I don't see how we can't. All right. So, uh, first of all, we got your cover. You got uh, three 
three of the gerbils are on the cover. You got uh, Duffer, of course. He's front and center. Mm-hmm. Look at that guy. He's holding his bow staff. And then you got uh, probably Kaja off to the left. Also with a bow staff, I think. And then we got uh, the Nunchucks, which, uh, what's his face? Uh, Geezer. Well, yeah, Giza, of course, is the nunchuck guy. Mm-hmm. And Zeke's passed out on the, on the ground now. <laughs> what, a, what a joker. That's what he does. Yeah, well, you know, until the later reboots, that's what he does. Like I said, starts off opening cover. We get a letter from Eastman and Laird. And then we open with another letter. It's from uh, Dr. Milton Meltdown. Of course, played by Paul Giamatti in every reboot of the movie franchise. And there have been a lot of them. And he's basically just uh, informing his team that... uh. He created a character called the uh, Esoteric Rap. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really explain what it is, but it's a fake god. Mm-hmm. Government apparently figured that if you make a super being, people will start worshiping like, like it's a god. Like Ewoks with C-3PO, that sort of deal. So they figured, skip the middleman, make us a god, then we'll run everything. Mm-hmm. And now uh, Milt figures that this ain't so good. Milt? Dr. Meltdown? Yeah, a Milt Meltdown. Milt. I feel like we're close because we've been studying this character for so long. 217 episodes. Well, to be fair, about half of those were about Rob Liefeld's young blood. Almost 217 episodes. Yeah. Anyway, he fig- figures this fake god he made in doing so hot. Uh, he thinks uh, this isn't a good thing that he did. He didn't want to do it. The government made him. They had uh, probably a gun or something. So, whoopsie. Now he needs his uh, his old buddies, the gerbils, to uh, help him out. They're the only ones. Yep. So he uh, he has his assistant, uh, who we I think we all remember, Dr. Christina Proper. She's going to go uh, run this information over to the uh, gerbils on her weekly visit to them in their retirement home. Mm-hmm. And we get a uh, an interesting page. It's a little disorienting at first. You get the mutant Muntor, mm-hmm. who, God, he's an ugly fucker. Mm-hmm. He's got the one horn, he's got extra eyeballs, little wisps of hair coming up. He's got a couple of claws on one hand. Uh, he's being confronted by a more typical-looking superheroic-type fella, who I think we'll all remember, the uh, Pink Pansy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Pink Pansy's telling him that uh, Montour should stop being such an asshole all the time. Montour's like, uh, what, what, are you threatening me? Fuck you. The pink pansy is like, nah, man, I just want to give you this flower. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a flower. Chill the fuck out, buddy. And this moves Montour. And he's like, oh, nobody's ever talked to me reasonably before. It's weird to view this in light of the further reboots that the character, the pink pansy, has had. It's difficult to remember, but in these early days, uh, he's almost like a gay panic type character. Mm-hmm kind of a lot of uh, negative stereotypes associated with him. He he gets fleshed out uh, a lot more later on, of course, in the various miniseries and uh, one-offs and uh, his ongoing title, of course. Right, right. Um, and ends up being a pretty well-developed character who uh, just goes around and uh, is a big muscly dude who solves problems through nonviolent means. Uh, but even in these early days, it's nice to see that his uh, techniques are pretty effective. Mm-hmm. So, a little bit trouble in early portrayal, but uh, you gotta remember it was the early 80s when uh, everyone was a real fucknut. No offense. It was the time rife with fucknuts. Yeah. It's, there's no way around it. Yeah, anyway, we see that this whole uh, interchange is taking place on the TV. So, uh, hey, click. Somebody changes the channel. How about that? They don't care for it. 
No, sir. No, sir. And then we cut over to a newscaster. What's he talking about? We switch to Harvey Botwango and uh, Phil having a correspondence back and forth, and they're covering this uh, series of brutal slayings that have been taking place of uh, hot dog vendors. Oh, jeez. And it comes out that police have narrowed it down. They think it's a handiwork of one Samurai Sam, and then they cut to the weather. That's a funny weatherman they got there. He's got a clown puppet. How about that? Yep. That's uh, Earl Frupp and uh, Cuckoo. Ha! <laughs> Cuckoo. Cuckoo's the puppet. Yeah, it's a funny name. Funny name, Cuckoo. Yeah, the gerbils don't like that either. They turn off the TV. Yeah, and we see the gerbils for the first time. And it is just, the conditions of this old folks home are... Not so good. Grubby. Yeah, well, that uh, grubby acres, I believe, is what it's called. Decrepit. Yeah. Should be decrepit acres. Touché. Uh, but yeah, not not looking so good. They're watching the TV. It's uh, Codger and Giza. Is that... Uh, no, it's uh, Duffer and Giza. Duffer is the only one in this in this first issue before the characters really... Yeah, before they get fleshed, fleshed out, out more, of course, uh, later on, Kaja gets a cybernetic arm. It's really hard to tell them apart, except for uh, Duffer, because he's the only one who's um who's bald. Yeah, he's got like a little monk, monk deal going on. Mm-hmm. Possibly due to the gangrene. And a scarf. Well, it's chilly and he's elderly. But yeah, the, the, those guys are sitting around, they're watching TV... Uh, some ladies defending Samurai Sam on a TV. They don't care for that either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the lady saying, ah, he's just a kid. I, I think I'd be a good mom for him or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. And in the background, of course, uh, Duffer and, uh, Geezer are always at it. Mm-hmm. Always at it. Even then, even in their earliest appearance, that, uh... That sort of adversarial relationship, that, that kind of tension is already set between them. It's something that over the years, I mean, I'm sure you've read, like, how could you avoid it? But all the fan fiction, the slash fiction, it's always Duffer and Giza. Yeah. Um, and, and I think people are picking up on that tension between them. Yep, yep. And I think there's a power struggle there. I mean, it is kind of a Holmes-Watson thing. Yeah. But it's a, it's a power, I think it's a power struggle because I think, you know, Duffer throughout the series is kind of their self-appointed head honcho yeah yeah and uh heavy is the head that wears the crown uh, so he's kind of an asshole a lot of the time mm-hmm. and maybe that is symbolically i know we've we've discussed this may be the case what they are implying by having him bald is that the 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 crown of power chafes yeah yeah that old chestnut that was how i always read it into uh duffer's character the crown of power Chafes. Oh, it chafes. Yeah. Yeah, when you get the... Yeah. He needs some powder for that, some crown powder. Indeed. Yeah. And some kind of ungent, perhaps. An anti-chafing. Is that what an ungent is? Yeah, probably. Okay. Then we see, for the first time, Samurai Sam. And uh, Samurai Sam is a big old fella. He's uh, about the size of a city bus. Taller. Got a head taller than a city bus. Well, yeah, but the bus is longer, so he's about the size of a city bus. Okay, he's smaller than the bus, but he's taller than the bus. That's what I'm saying. Okay, he's a big guy. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. And and once again, uh, it, it's interesting to see how the characters have changed over the years, because in his earliest iteration here, uh, Samurai Sam is uh, a bit of a racial caricature. Yeah, except for the Crocs. Well, it, it's prescient that he's wearing Crocs, because I don't believe they had actually been developed 
uh, yet. I think the inspiration for Crocs may have come from these early depictions of Samurai Sam, which is odd because he's not a particularly identifiable wet character. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I've heard though. That's, that's where That's where came. the guy got the idea for Crocs? Yeah. Oh boy, that's uh, maybe the first negative thing I've ever heard about this comic book. Oh, they're very comfortable. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, uh, Samurai Sam, uh, he's uh, basically looks like a sumo wrestler. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's wearing a big diaper, and he's uh, carrying a giant sword, and he's got a big old droopy mustache and a top knot. And he's um, got three fingers and a thumb. Yeah, I mean, we've all got three fingers and a thumb, but he also doesn't have the fourth finger. Thanks for pointing that out. And uh, just being fair, trying to be thorough here. Yeah, good you job. You know, that they call me uh, Thorough Gary. That's not true, Gary. <laughs> yeah, shut the fuck up. People call me that. Uh-huh. You you don't know. You don't know. Uh, okay. You think you're so fucking smart just because you're a doctor. Hey, they don't hand those out. You sent away for yours in the mail. I had to pay some money. Yeah, but they basically hand them out. Well, not to... I mean, not everybody... They do a minor criminal background search. Who's the cop now? Gary? Okay, okay, Dr. Ed. Let's get back to the comic. Okay, okay. So, Samurai Sam. He is uh, standing in front of a city bus, which is why we had the size comparison. And we see the introduction of uh, one of the title's flagpole characters, which is a phrase, (laughs) uh, because he uh, looms large in the uh, comic books. uh, Yeah, yeah, he's uh, large in his symbolism. (laughs) The flagpole character, the uh, the spoonerism bus driver. Right, uh-huh, yep. Oh, and he and Samurai Sam, they do not get along at first. Spoonie McGee, nope. He wants the bus to move. Samurai Sam is sitting in front of him. What are they going to do? And he says, he says, I got a dust to drive. I mean, bus to drive. Now go haunt the house. Or better yet, rent out your navel as a two-car garage. Oh, and Samurai Sam does not care for that. But the uh, dust driver, he thinks he's, he's pretty pl- proud of himself for that quip. Starts yeah, he laughing. cracks himself right up. Yeah, hotty ha ha. You know what he doesn't think is so funny? When his bus gets chopped in half? Yeah, he's not crazy about that. And that's where he gets to say, I get a little thrill when I see it in print for the first time. Dust driver, Spoonerism bus driver, having his catchphrase... I got a big mouth. <laughs> oh, it lights up the theater. Oh, every time. Well, especially that is why. And I mean, the most popular of the movies. It was Steven Tyler ended up playing the bus driver. So you get the the double uh, oh. comedy of I got a big mouth because mm-hmm. uh, Steven Tyler's got a uh, big fucking mouth and quite a set of pipes. Yeah, I suppose he's a real third ball. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, not a fan. Oh, as a human being. I know, that keeps coming up on these shows. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of people that are just garbage. Anyway, Samurai Sam just kind of walks away from the Clefton Twain bus. And uh, we we go back to see what those gerbils are up to. What back, are they up to? Back to Grubby Acres. They are up to what a lot I'm led to believe of people that live at Grubby Acres are up to, and that's having a nice game of checkers. Starts off as a nice game of checkers. Good luck maintaining that air of conviviality when you've got a geezer and duffer going at it. It rapidly deteriorates and becomes 
quite cantankerous. Yeah, a bit acrimonious, I would say. To say the least. Yeah, they started jujitsuing it up. Now, uh, one of the things that's interesting about these uh, geriatric jujitsu gerbils uh, is A, they got gangrene, and two, they're practicing an odd form of jujitsu that seems to have more striking than I was led to believe was uh, generally a part of that particular discipline. It is indeed confusing. Yeah, I had always thought that uh, your jujitsu was more a matter of like, uh, you know, your karate hugs. Yeah. I know some people who are really into jujitsu don't like it when I call it the karate hugs, but uh, that's what it seems like, pretty much. Yeah, some people need to not take themselves that seriously. But, you know, considering it is a martial art that evolved out of, you know, what is a samurai wearing a hundred or so pounds of armor going to do when you don't have any weapons and maybe the other guy's on a horse, you gotta be pretty good at doing some kind of combat wrestling, right? Sure. And there's uh, not punching and kicking. Yeah, you wouldn't so think so. So much involved in that. You wouldn't think so. Uh, a little confusing for me. Yeah, likewise. All right. But, uh, you know, it's become part of the franchise as it goes on. And uh, it's interesting to see the seeds of that planted. It is. I mean, there's been a lot of debate about its impact on, uh, you know, modern combat sports. Sure, sure. Do you think this is where the UFC guys started to say, oh, I got to take some Muay Thai and mix that shit in there? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, granted, on one hand, MMA could be seen as initially a vehicle to prove uh, jujitsu's combat effectiveness to the world. But these gerbils got in there and then people wanted to see the punching and the kicking. Yeah, I, I heard I heard that your, your hoist Gracie, uh-huh. he's, a, he's a big Duffer fan. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, who I mean we've all got our favorites, but I, you know. I think people always kind of like to go with the... The leader, you know? Sure. But, I mean, yeah, there are folks out there that, you know, prefer the, the drummer. Well, yeah, well, and whatever. as we've talked about, uh, reading through the series over its hundreds of issues and uh, covering as we have the annuals and the film tie-ins, I think we've grown, uh, obviously, a bit of more of appreciation for Zeke and the subtlety of that character. Yeah, it's that is probably the toughest role to execute like how do you portray emotion how do you build character how do you make people care about you when you're asleep and it's impressive that he manages to pull it off like every time every time, time. Oh, every time man that that's one of the things one of the things that i love about zeke and that's probably why it's the only character role of one of the gerbils that's been uh nominated for an oscar yeah i mean in a lead role you can, like, emote in your sleep a little bit. You make some sniffling noises and snoring and whatnot. Sure, sure. But to put feeling into that... I mean, I think Ed Asner should have won that year for his portrayal of Zeke. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> Good call. Anyway, as we said, Kaja and uh, Duffa really mixing it up over this checkers game. Flip the board. That's, uh, that's Duffa for you. Mm-hmm. When their scuffle is interrupted by the arrival of Dr. Christina Proper. Mm-hmm. Good to see her for the first time. Um, once again, I forget, in her early appearances, the character overly sexualized. These comics really grew up over yeah, the years. Yeah, they, like. they changed and they evolved. Uh, you can see the seeds of what they became later on. But uh, yeah, a little, little problematic. It's a little rough. With, uh, a little, yeah. Yeah. So she shows up and... Uh... Wearing uh, fishnet stockings and high heels and a miniskirt. Mm-hmm. Very tight top. And uh, she doesn't like the gerbils fighting. She's got to talk to them. Right. But, uh, you know, clearly the only way to break up a fight in the retirement home 
It's by firing a few rounds from her her pistol into the ceiling. Well, that is classic Christina Proper. Yeah. I mean, that is that's the character in a nutshell. Like, no nonsense, sees a problem, uses out-of-the-box thinking to solve it. And that's one of the things that I appreciate her. Even in her early appearances where uh, well, uh, you get a, a little bit more of the male gaze than I'm uh, comfortable with in her portrayal, uh, you still see this character who's going to take care of business and uh, do what needs to be done. Obviously, maybe she won't be using firearms later on, but uh, still pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the cultural touchstones of this issue I think a lot of people forget about was uh, she was a real inspiration to one MC Hammer. When, when he really liked something, he would say that's proper mm-hmm. uh, because of the great admiration he had for the character Christina Proper. Uh, so, uh, for example, say Kentucky Fried Chicken's Popcorn Chicken, mm-hmm. uh, if he were to take a bite of that chicken and enjoy it, as he did in the commercial, he would then follow that up by saying, popcorn chicken, that's proper. Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, the shorthand for, uh, that is so good that uh, Christina Proper would enjoy it. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, well, it's uh, the kind of fun fact we like to pepper in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an educational podcast. Well, yeah, that's why we get those government grants. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the gerbils are uh, properly cowed. By uh, Christina and her firearms. That they are. Now, she's been coming by and visiting these gerbils uh, every week for a while now. Mm-hmm. The gerbils were crime fighters in the past, but they've been retired for like 30 years now at the time that this comic book picks up. They used to just be, of course, we've read the prequel series, the uh, juvenile jujitsu gerbils who also have gangrene. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they switched the word order up in that, but, but they did. Mm-hmm. But at that time, they were employed by the government on a more regular basis. And uh, then they were retired, of course. As one does. Yeah, but uh, she's been visiting them this whole time because uh, Christina Proper uh, does a good job. That's why MC Hammer, you know, idolizes her the way that he does. But this is no regular visit. No, it is not. No, she tells these gerbils, you have an assignment. And the gerbils are just floored by this. Yeah, they all, except for Zeke, say, what? <laughs> yeah. And I think that in his mind, Zeke's probably saying something along the lines of, what? Mm-hmm. But it'd be more snoozy, because, <laughs> you know Zeke. He's a snoozer. They are handed their envelope. Top secret. Classified information. And uh, they decide to get some, get some rest, because tomorrow, they're going to go on a mission for the first time in 30 years. Mm-hmm. And we get a cut. To a whole new scene. Yeah. We see a hot dog vendor. In another part of town. Not the same part of town. Hanging out with his dog, Fred. Little wiener dog. Yeah, he's having a conversation. Uh, it's funny that this one offline, he says to the dog, he says, uh, Yes, we have no bananas. Right, Fred? And that casual remark launched a couple of different careers. There was the ad executive who, for Fig Newtons, launched the uh, We Don't Sell Banana Fig Newtons ad campaign that was popular in the late 80s. And also the band of Right Said Fred uh, was inspired by that one panel. Oh, because of the Right Fred. Right Fred. Oh. And then uh, they were talking back and forth, and, you know, it's uh, Right Fred. And it's like, Right Said Fred. And uh, then they launched the thing about how they were too sexy to wear shirts. How about that? Yeah. 
A lot of people don't know that. Well, they do now. That's why we get to have org at the end of our uh, website. Mm -hmm. That website being uh, loosen up, fuck nuts, no offense, dot com, dot org, dot org. I forget every time. I know. (laughs) Classic Gary. (laughs) Well, this hot dog vendor doesn't have long to inspire America and uh, possibly England. Nobody knows. Nobody knows where Right Said Fred is from. Probably England. I don't know. The, the accent is so hard to place. Yeah, it's weird. Some accents are difficult to tell where people are from. I think it's a European accent in general. Probably. Yeah. I wish people were more specific with their accents. It would be nice. <laughs> but it's not easy to do. Yeah, apparently not. So, yeah, Hot Dog Vendor is uh, getting ready to close up shop when suddenly um, appears Samurai, Samurai Sam. Sam. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. As I said, he, uh, he appears the way he does in the the diaper, looking like a sumo uh, fella, but with a long droopy mustache and a top knot. Uh, very different than his later characterization, where you find out that he is a roboticized clone of uh, Mark Twain and a cybernetic bull. Uh, when he uh, you find out that he is uh, Samuel Longhorns Clement, and that is what the Sam stands for. You gotta wait. A long time. Yeah, that's one of the later retcons you find out. Zeke's time travel, all of that shit gets folded in. It's uh, part of the Doc Kaja storyline. Right. That uh, they keep trying to make into movies. Never quite comes out right. I think it's like nailing Jello to a wall. Like, you could do it and it would be impressive. But why? Why would you do it? Yeah. Anyway, uh, Sam shows up and he, uh, he wants a hot dog. He says hot dog real loud. Hot dog owners, understandably, perhaps a little bit cowed by this. Startled, at least. Yeah, not crazy about what's going on there. Fred is all freaked out. Sure, and with good cause, it turns out. The vendor offers uh, Sam a hot dog, but he makes a classic mistake. He, uh, he asks him if he wants sauerkraut. Which, that's what really sets the whole thing off. Yeah, we all remember, of course, Sam's tragic backstory. Uh, how his, uh, his dad made him eat too much sauerkraut. And uh, he flies into an uh, angry kind of a rage thing, mm-hmm. and it uh, goes into a bit of a bit of a fugue state. And uh oh, hacks the uh, vendor to pieces. He sure does. Uh, you see blood dripping off of his machete, and then uh, taking things a little bit further, he uh, he picks up Fred, puts him in a hot dog bun, and uh, eats the dog. Eats the wiener dog. Yeah, it's actions like this that make it harder. To reconcile Sam's later heroic run. It's, uh, that never really rang true to me when, when you get the idea that uh, he, he killed and ate a dog. Yeah, and it's really weird too. I'm just noticing for the first time the difference in size. Like his ability to change the size of that hot dog bun. Yeah, it's one of his lesser known powers is that he can uh, alter the size and appearance of any bread item. It starts as a normal sized hot dog bun and then it becomes large enough to hold a full-grown dachshund yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a power that it's odd that they decided to put it in there i can't even remember if it was originally part of the character if it got retconned in once these early books started facing more analysis like we're doing right now Mm -hmm. um so the thing to remember about sam is that he's only 13 years old at this time yep um, there's, of course, later on, the whole thing with the time travel and the, uh, him being a cybernetic bull that's a clone of Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. We find out more later. But, uh, like I said, the early dog-killing stuff makes it harder to reconcile his later heroic run. It, it just seems off-character. Yeah. 
I think anytime the demise of an animal is, you know, used for a comedic point, it really cheapens the joke. Then again, it was the 80s. Yeah, when everyone was a real fucknut. Uh-huh. 1980s, you gotta, you gotta call it like it is. It was a real, uh, F-R-E. Yeah, a fucknut rich environment. An <laughs> That it was. That it was. That's good. Thank you. Anyway, let's get back to the gerbils. Sure. I mean, that's why we're here. That's the bread and butter. That's what it's all about. That's it, yeah. At least one week. Well, yeah, until next week when we get back to uh, Youngblood, mm -hmm. as we always do. And so we see that uh, Duffer is uh, really trying to coax the boys into doing more strenuous training than they are maybe comfortable with. It's almost like he forgets they've been out of practice for three decades. Well, there is a little bit of senility creeping into Duffer's character, which, of, of course, is the focus of many later story arcs. But uh, once again, you can see that it's, they're starting to set it up here. Sorry, just that whole what to do about Duffer miniseries. <laughs> oh, that went in some interesting directions. That really pulled out the old heartstrings. It, I'm not embarrassed to say I cried more than a little bit at that one. Oh. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, quite all right, quite all right. Yeah, Duffer's uh, trying to get the other guys to train. They go up onto a rooftop. Uh, says his catchphrase that, you know, he says more than he should on account of the senility. But he just, as he gets ready to leap off, he uh, yells, The geriatric gangrene jujitsu gerbils have returned. As he does. Yep, as he does at least once an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes, as you said, uh, once the short-term memory starts to lose, it, it, he, he does say that perhaps a bit more than one would hope. Uh, as he yells that, they leap out of the bulkhead, but they don't make it far. They all get tripped up and collapse in a big, hilarious pile. <laughs> so good! Pretty good. Uh, yeah, then Duffer tells the others, yeah, we're gonna jump off a roof. They're like, yeah, fuck you, I ain't jumping off no roof. And uh, then he jumps off the roof, and, uh, you know, it doesn't go so great. He almost makes it, but he goes through the, uh, the, the top window of the nearby building instead of landing on the rooftop. Still a pretty good jump, but, you know... It's their first day back. The other guys decide to take the elevator. <laughs> take the elevator. That old chestnut. Yeah, that, that crops up probably once every two or three issues. One of my favorite running jokes throughout the series. That's another one where in the theater, when Kaja says, let's take the elevator, whole place, whole so place just like goes a, off. Like a laugh track. It's, it's like a Roman candle of laughter just erupts within the theater. Yep. And then we, uh, we cut out to, uh, see what's going on with, uh, Dr. Meltdown out in the, out in the desert in his lab. We find out, um, the name of his headquarters, the Nuclear Nibbles. Oh, yeah, Nuclear Nibbles. Did you have that playset when you were a kid? Oh, of course. I don't know if everybody had the playset. Everybody knew somebody who had the Nuclear oh, Nibbles yeah. playset. I wished I had it, frankly. My friend David had that playset. I would go over and play at his house all the time. Mostly just for the Nuclear Nibbles playset. Do you, I feel like everybody had that one, like, friend or friend of a friend who either the family was wealthy or the child was spoiled or something, and he had all the toys, and he would just do fucked up shit to them, like... Oh, yeah, didn't care what happened to them. Like, break he, off their limbs or, like, oh. burn them with lighters and be like, this one was in a fire, and you're like, man, I would have had to save my allowance for, like... I know, I know. And I'm not talking about the, of course, the, uh... The collectible Kaja with removable limbs. I mean, we all took the arms and legs off of that guy. Well, you're supposed That's to. That's part of the you fun. Put him back on. But no, he's, he's taking the arms and legs off of the uh, the special Fedora trench coat edition. Disguise Kaja. Disguise Kaja, yeah. What the fuck, dude? 
I know. You're like, dude, that's a rare item. You shouldn't do that. And he's like, oh, I'll just buy another one. Yeah, I punched him one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, I got in trouble. Well. I should have. I should have resolved uh, issues non-violently. But at that time, the uh, the Pink Pansy ongoing series hadn't really launched into it. So I hadn't had non-violent resolution issues yet. Still had a lot of rage. Yeah. Youthful rage. Well, I mean, I was kind of a latchkey kid, as you know. Mm-hmm. Have to mock at run over by that police dog. That was a horse. Was it? I thought it was a dog who was undercover. There's some things that are still coming to light about those issues. It's yeah. a little hard to talk yeah, about. Was, I'm sorry. That's okay. Either way, horse, dog, shouldn't have been driving. Nobody disagrees. These with animals you. think they can get away with everything just because they're cops. <laughs> it's got to be stopped. <laughs> ah, nuclear nibbles. What a place. Oh, at. nuke nibbles. Eh, Doc Meltdown. <laughs> I can't even look at the guy without seeing Paul Giamatti. Pure Giamatti. Ah, total PG. PPG. Huh? Pure Paul Giamatti. Oh, pure. He's, uh, he's giving some bullshit to his bosses about why there's a hole in the wall. Saying it was some kind of a laser. It wasn't a laser. But, uh, you know, you know, old Paul Giamatti. I'm sorry, Dr. Meltdown. They're just synonymous to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really made his career. Yeah, yeah. Really brought him to the forefront. It's why he had all those spinoff roles. I think that maybe if he hadn't had all that time playing Meltdown in the one movie that we discussed where he played all of the gerbils, he might not have been cast as Captain America in those other movies. It's tough to imagine a world in which Paul Giamatti never played Captain America. Is it? <laughs> it is for me. Okay. So, yeah, he's trying to explain there's a there's a big old hole in the wall. He says it was a magic laser, but... Uh, Talking to the press. Yeah, it wasn't a laser. Uh, it was, uh, well, we'll get to where, what it was. Let's just get on with the story. All right, all right. He's hoping the gerbils show up soon. He sent for him a few days ago, but come on, these gerbils are fucking old. Yep. Come on, Paul G. I'm sorry, Dr. Meltdown. He does give a nice bit of exposition, though. Keeping in mind, I mean, we've got, we know everything about this, but this is the first issue that people right. were Right, I keep forgetting that. Yeah, so he gives the exposition about what's going on, you know, how serious Shit is. Right. So, yeah, um, that uh, an annihilation's at hand. Yeah, I mean, the rap is out of hand. Yeah. And uh, the gerbils, of course, they're very elderly, so they can uh, probably, once they get there, be able to identify with uh, thinking that rap is going to uh, cause the downfall of humanity. Right, so it was a natural choice to call them, but will they get there? Tough to tell. Right now, they're going to the bathroom. Of course, it's probably Giza. Giza's always in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Ends up being a bit of a character-defining trait. Mm-hmm. And they start uh, heading out to meet up the, with the doctor. They uh, they got to go down in an elevator. Duffer decides to uh, try to climb down the rope because the elevator's out of order. Doesn't go so great. Rope breaks. He falls on it. On his duff, if you will. Oh, that's and, rich. Uh, yeah, Kaja and uh, Giza decide to drag Zeke down the stairs, which is easier route to get there anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep, and the nice, I mean, really ties back to the old elevator joke. Oh, boy. But they <laughs> can't take it because it's broken. <laughs> they can't take the elevator. <laughs> they gotta take the uh, stairs. Gotta take the stairs this one time. And then we finally see the uh, esoteric rap for the first time. Is a big ugly fucker. Whole full page panel. One of the more thoughtfully rendered pieces of art. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice picture. It's a, he's a big pile of goo. Got a tendrils coming off of him and he's a, he's burping. It was Marlon Brando's one of his final roles. 
was, was playing the esoteric uh, rap, only appeared for like 49 seconds of screen time, got $3 million for it. That's amazing. Yeah, well, he did a great job. Really helped sell the uh, the movie. I mean, product kind of sold itself. The gerbils was so hot right then. I read that uh, Brando really studied up on Slimer from the Ghostbusters movie. That was one of that, that was one of his big inspirations for the mm-hmm. character. And and I mean, you can kind of see why. The the esoteric rap in his early appearances looks kind of like Slimer. Later gets reworked and uh, drawn more like Brando. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the character gets fleshed out more in the movies and uh, also on the uh, radio show. There is a a panel that follows the the big introduction page for the rap that uh I don't know, I got to say despite all my experience with these books was a little confusing to me. Well, well, let's hear it. All right, shall we just read his bit of dialogue? Sure, sure. So, okay, he's perched atop a mountain. Right. And uh, this is, as we said in his his earlier, less Brando-esque, you know, more kind of slimy blob guy. Yeah, it looks like Slimer, but with maybe a couple of extra hands on the top of his head and a shrimp tail. Yeah, a little tail. And he's saying... And he's got these funky, like, uh, scratchy lines around his word bubbles, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm going to say maybe has, like, a reverb. Sound. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like in the cartoons. Sound like, yeah, like in the cartoons later yeah. on, he sounds like he's in an echo chamber uh-huh. or something. I think that's what those little squiggles around the word bubbles are supposed to denote. All right, so I'll try and uh, put some reverb in my voice. Okay, I'd appreciate we'll that. We'll see how it goes. Oh, born, born of fire and pain, I exist in my own desire, created by man to create man. Jesus, what a bitch. Why did I run away from home? No supper, uh, no TV, no Playboy? No way! Yeah, uh, what about that that you find confusing? (sighs) Like, clearly, uh, when he left, that's why there's the hole in the research facility. And uh, as we know from the later appearances, uh, kind of inappropriate, considering he's essentially a newborn here. He's kind of a manifestation of id, uh, but was created to uh, be a kind of a god-type uh, being. So that's why he was created by man to create man in there. And, uh, you know, Dr. Milton used to give him a lot of TV and Playboys, which was, as I said, a little bit inappropriate, but uh, that's why we get the Doc uh, Milton turn later on. Uh, in which we find out that there was an evil alien parasite living in Dr. Meltdown's brain, which was causing him to do fucked up shit, like uh, give uh, Playboys and uh, stuff like that to a newborn Slimer being, who was a god. What about that did you find confusing? That actually helps... um, Did you forget about the alien parasite angle that came out later? Because what I remembered was that was actually part of the rap that that got transferred like symbiotically into Paul Giamatti. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Into Milton. I know. Yeah. Into Dr. Milton. And then I was just like, well, we're in some kind of fucked up loop where... It does get, once you go with the paradox of yeah. time travel, it does get a little bit confusing. So I understand that tripping you up. But uh, you just have to accept it. You know what? It's a durable comic. There's going to be time snares and continuity issues. Okay. I mean, if there wasn't, we wouldn't have this podcast. Certainly wouldn't have been going on for 217 episodes. Certainly not. Almost half of which are dedicated exclusively <laughs> to this amazing book. Yeah. The rest, of course, uh, Rob Lee Phil's Youngblood. Great series. Looking forward to getting back to that next week. Absolutely. 
Esoteric Rap decides he's going to go back home, uh, meet back up with uh, Dr. Meltdown, get some of those Playboys and some of that TV, which, yeah, as I said, are probably attributed to the uh, alien parasite living in Dr. Meltdown's brain that uh, got uh, retconned in later. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He shows up, he burns a hole through the wall, and uh, Dr. Meltdown is uh, understandably off-put by this development. Meanwhile, we see that the gerbils... Uh, have embarked on their road trip, and they're heading to Nuclear Nibbles. Also, just point out, first appearance of the Gerbomobile. Oh boy, I wanted that vehicle so bad. I really kind of wish they explained it a little bit more. It yeah. just, just sort of pops up in the, in the com. I mean, of course we get all the details later. Right. But, anyway. It's from the underground bunker in the uh, Grubby Acres playset. You know, that has the hydraulic lift. Iconic. It comes up. Iconic first Fires appearance. the gerbil so. pellets, the pellet slinger. Uh-huh. Which they, they could program to fire rhubarb pellets later on uh, at the enemies, the dark gerbils, which are clones, evil clones of the gerbils. I know, God, those dummies, they would just eat those. They'd eat the rhubarb. Rhubarb, of course, poisonous to gerbils. They'd just die. Really clever writing there. Yeah. Yeah, good well, writing. Well, well done. And honestly... At that point, when those gerbils died, they had created enough pathos for those characters. I know they started off evil, but I, I shed a tear. Well, who didn't? Yeah. I mean, you're only human. Thank you. You're welcome. So anyway, these gerbils are on the road trip in the gerbilmobile, and uh, we we get a pretty nice moment where they all, they're all getting lost because it's uh, it's Zeke's turn to read the map. Zeke won't wake up, but of course, as we know, plot point, gerbils have an innate sense of fair play. And nobody else is going to read the map because it's Zeke's turn. And uh, these gerbils are loyal to one another. Every single time. Every time. And honestly, I love it every time. It never gets old. No, you'd think it would. Yep. Unlike these gerbils, they sure got old. That's why they're geriatric. <laughs> Part of the charm. Oh, my Part God. of their but charm. But like, even as the reader, like every time, aren't you like, wake up, Zeke? Come oh. on, man, it's your turn. Like, oh, it starts to I always think offensive. Zeke is going to wake up. He never wakes up. Jeez. But, oh, jeez. guy is so sleepy. <laughs> Can't get enough of that wonderful sleep. So, anyway, they drive around for hours. Hours just in curly cues and loop-de-loops all through the desert. Nobody knows, you know, when Zeke's going to wake up and read the map. But, you know what? They end up making it there eventually. Or they get nearby. Because we see that at Nuclear Nibbles, once again, the esoteric rap is uh, having a bit of a tete-a-tete. As much as he's got a tet, which, yeah. Or he's all tet? Uh, no, he's got the tail and the little arms. Okay, fair Kinda enough. like a head with arms. He's probably so. about uh, 94% tet, though. Mm -hmm. But he, he's having a tet-a-tet with his pops. Giamatti's not happy with him. Milton. Oh, you're right, I'm sorry. Uh, Milt Meltdown's not happy with the esoteric rap. Because he burned a hole through his wall. What does the esoteric rap do? He does what he always does. He ends up uh, mind-sapping and hypnotizing his pa and uh, gets him to obey his commands. And this also has the iconic close-up of his face when he finds out that the gerbils are on the way. Uh-huh. I think we've all seen that image on the t-shirts. Mm -hmm. Gerbils? Gerbils. And that one weird pair of pants that had that on the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Not a popular seller, but I, you did see it occasionally. Weird pair of pants. Yeah. <laughs> Where's do we got? 
But yeah, the, the esoteric rep, he's uh, understandably unsettled when he finds the jabbles are headed his way. But where are those jabbles? So they're in the desert. Still wandering around. Fortunately, or not, uh, the esoteric rap is able to locate them. Uh-oh. And we see, yeah, Landon in the middle of the desert. They're having their confab. And Dr. Milton just falls out of the sky right in front of him. But he's not quite himself. No, he's a little zonked out. You can tell it's subtle, but if you look at his eyeballs, they're, they're all goofed up. So he, he's like, hey, guys, eh, why don't you go look behind this boulder for some reason? And of course the gerbils do, because that's what the gerbils do. It's, uh, again, a running motif that they are perhaps, if anything, a little bit too subservient to their creator, Dr. Meltdown. Meltdown, not Giamatti. So they go, they go over the, and look behind the boulder. What do they find there? Samurai Sam. Yup. In Tur- the flesh. Turns out, the esoteric rap wants to watch Samurai Sam fight the gerbils. And, uh, sorry, fight the gerbils. You'd think I know how to properly pronounce gerbils, given my accent, seeing how long I've had this particular accent, and how long we've been covering these gerbil issues. But every once in a while, I say it in a weird way. That's true. It's odd. Anyway, (laughs) the gerbils are pretty surprised to see Samurai Sam. And, uh, well, that's pretty much the end of the issue. That's it. It leaves you, uh, hungry for more. Yeah, it gets a cliffhanger. Uh... Pretty exciting stuff. It is pretty exciting stuff. I mean, we see some of the early themes explored. We don't quite get the uh, Kaja as a Christ figure that we get later on, which becomes a bit of a running motif. We don't really get Giza going on the hero's journey that he he does in general. And uh, as we said, we we talked about some of the more iconic storylines that come up later. And uh, you can see where the seeds are sown for that, but uh, not quite there yet. If anything, this kind of reminds me of when I first uh, read uh, The Stranger by Camus. And I had already read all this other literature that had been heavily influenced by existentialism and by The Stranger, or L'Etranger, as they're always calling it, Mm -hmm. in your fancy places, Uh like France. Mm -hmm. That's what they call it there. Okay. And so I was a little bit underwhelmed by it, but when you think of the impact that it had and the works that it impacted then uh, it's still pretty iconic. And I think you can kind of view this comic book in that regard. Yeah, I just remember thinking, man, that guy should stop smoking. Yeah, and maybe, you know, not not murder people. Yeah, he was just so fixated on wanting a cigarette when he was locked up and everything. Yeah. Weird book. Yeah. And there you have it, the first issue of Geriatric Gangrene Jiu-Jitsu Jabbles. A study in existential thought. Indeed. I mean, there have been many papers that have been written about the gerbils and their ties to uh, experimental existential literature. Even university classes on the topic. Oh, boy. At, you know, smaller liberal arts schools. Sure, but I, I think as uh, as that sort of thought gets mainstreamed, we're going to see more and more of that cropping up in uh, some of your Ivy League schools. Oh, sure. So Ivy League schools, if you're listening... And you need a guest lecturer. Why don't you call on good old Gary and Dr. Ed over here? Right here. Yeah. What was your, what was your doctorate in? It was in um, the study of gases. Oh, like fats? Well, methane is, is a gas, so... Whoa, ho, ho, look at fancy pants over that's here. That's included. Look at Dr. Ed. Yeah, farts do have some methane in them. 
Yeah, fats do have some methane in them. That's what you sound like. Yeah. Spot on. You are good with accents. Yeah, that's why they call me a thorough Gary. Is that what it was? Probably. Who can remember? It's about that time. Well, we commissioned a fella named Rick to sing a song about Minutia. Many years ago. You've all heard the song. He got a little bit confused and uh, starts referencing somebody named Corey in it. I don't know who this Corey guy is, but uh, apparently he likes to eat farts. Huh. Maybe I should interview him for my new book. I would love to hear an interview between you and Corey. Might clear up the whole fart eating thing. (laughs) Yeah, I think it'd probably clear up a whole lot of shit. Rick, how about you sing that song for us? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Now, quote doctor, unquote Ed. Sorry, that sounded a little passive aggressive there. It sure did. Yeah, it sometimes comes across that way because of, uh, you know, where I grew up. Okay. Anyway, yep. what was your favorite panel in this year, Ed Gerbil book? Oh, boy. So many. I think I'm going to go with New Assignment on page 11. Yeah, it's pretty iconic. You, you got uh, Dr. Christina Proper telling the Gerbils they got their assignment, and uh, oh, they're, they're surprised by that. They're so surprised. Yeah. Even Zeke's uh, sleeping foot. Yeah, it, it's a, it's say. a real testament that uh, he's able to convey that much shock and amazement having one of his feet partially exposed while he sleeps. Three little gerbil toes. There they are. How about you? What was your favorite panel? Oh, a bunch to choose from. Uh, the initial panel. The tiny inset you get at the top left. It's a silhouette of Dr. Milton G. Meltdown. <laughs> And uh, the sound effects are going scribble, scribble, scribble. And then he says, finished. See if I got it all. And then we see the letter. Now, I like that because uh, if it wasn't for scribble, 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 finished, see if I got it all, I think I would have been totally confused when I read the letter that follows. I would think, did he write that letter? Who is he addressing? Is he addressing did he get us, it the all? reader? I think in a certain way he is. Mm. No, I mean in the letter. That's like what you could have been thinking. Oh, I totally could have been thinking that. And in fact, I did. But I like that panel because it uh, really introduces a, an odd meta-narrative. Oh. Yeah, that, that was how I chose to interpret that. I mean, if we didn't know that this was a work of enduring genius that would uh, show up forever mm-hmm. and that uh, scholars would be looking back at for years and years, I'd be tempted to write off a panel like that as uh, really stupid and uh, unnecessary and further in the plot in no way, and it would confuse me as to why it had been included. But knowing as we do mm, as that we this do. is a work of enduring genius as we all do. really makes you think about it a little bit more and see that it is kind of in a certain way introducing the meta narrative and uh, making you question authorial intent in the book as a whole. In addition to the uh, the opening letter that uh, is uh, Dr. Milton Meltdown. Uh, writing to his travel friends. Indeed, indeed. Which narrator do you trust? Tough to tell, tough to tell. I know that later does play more with the idea of an unreliable narrator, especially when you get the more experimental issues later on where the gerbils end up meeting uh, Tony Basilicato oh, in that, that weird, like, tripped-out issue. Mm-hmm. 
where they go inside his typewriter. Oh, man. And they're dancing around, but as they're moving, the, the concepts that they represent seems to change from page to page. Yeah. I, I mean, in certain ways, you can see those concepts being introduced right there in that opening panel. I don't know. I always thought that series of issues was just there was time constraint and there was uh, those diet pills from the 80s. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, Tony Basilicato had uh, some issues with the uh, with the pep pills, for sure. All Still, up on tab, cola, and... Those issues, though. So, so interesting. I, I mean, regardless of what the, what the inspiration was, the, the tone that they managed to convey. Chef kiss, I'm telling you. Yeah, he just did the chef kiss thing. Like I was sitting on a pizza box. Like I was the image on like the pizza box, the not picture. like I was sitting Sit, on like, it physically. Not like it's a chair. No, no. Pizza box would make a terrible chair. We've learned that lesson it's, many times. It's not good for the pie. No, not good for the pie, not good for your bottom. Nope. Or the chair. <laughs> not good for America. Oh, bad for your couch. Yeah. Bad for America. Don't sit on a pizza box. If, if there's one takeaway from this episode... It's don't sit on a stack of pizza boxes and expect it to be a decent chair, especially if they got pizzas in them. It's a bad idea. I think you'll probably remember that lesson from episode 48. <laughs> we certainly learned it then. Whew. I tried to replace and how most of the furniture in the house with full pizza boxes. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Expensive lesson. I'll say. Now, every episode of a geriatric gangrene jujitsu gerbils comic book has a Zeke, the greatest of geriatric gangrene jujitsu gerbils. And every episode also has a Kaja, who, as we have learned, is the worst of geriatric gangrene jujitsu gerbils. So in this issue, who was your Zeke and who was your Kaja? For me, in this issue, my Zeke was actually Geezer. Ah, because he didn't stir up too much crap, and he really was the hero for dragging Zeke by his ankle. Sure, sure. Into pretty much every panel that mattered. Yeah. In the story, and that really takes some some heartfelt, you know, taking care of your buddy. It's pretty hot, woman. Yeah, yeah. Don't leave any gerbil behind. No, no gerbil left behind. Not a one. As always, hundred and eight episodes uh, running. Zeke is my Zeke. I know I'm a literalist. I probably doesn't even make sense that I have the the category, but uh, Zeke is the best, and so Zeke is the Zeke. Just kind of makes sense. I know, I know. I chose him all 100 plus episodes, you know, to date. But yeah. I thought since we're going back to the very beginning, sure, back to 1986. Why don't I change it up a little bit? Well, and I can appreciate that. I disapprove of it, but I can appreciate it. I'm glad. It means a lot. Well, I'm glad to hear. I know we've had our issues over the years. Uh, there's, of, of course, uh, issue 94, where less said about we're it, the just, better. We're never going to see eye to eye on something. No, okay? no. We'll just and, but I should not have done what I did. Well, I'm sure. And I, I'm glad the elbow did, in fact, recover, more or less. I think the listeners agree. <laughs> anyway, conversely, who did you have as your codger? Once again, mixing things up a little bit. Doofer. Driving in circles. Yeah. Like, okay, guys, I know you got a code, but when it really matters, when it really matters, you are willing, as dribbles, to just ignore the fact that it's Zeke's turn. 
Well, well, even if you don't have a map, what does driving around in a figure eight accomplish? Well, that's because this was this is before uh, the repairs were done to the. Oh, right. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. Just, you, it won't yeah. start again without <laughs> a jump. Right. And they're in the desert. So yeah, and gonna, it can only turn to the left. He's just going right. to the car. Because it was a converted race car. Right. Converted NASCAR can only turn. Yeah. Gotcha. I always forget these details. Yeah. You're such a stickler for those kinds of things. I just, I remember everything. You're like an encyclopedia. It's amazing. <laughs> I just read it and it sticks. So true, so true. Yeah, I also had Duffer as my codger. What? You love Duffer. I do love Duffer, but in this issue, eh, not so great, man. It was a real Duffer. <laughs> you make that... I was wondering if you would work that one in. You make that joke every episode, and I thought maybe this time we're at the minutiae. He hasn't said Duffer's a real Duffer yet. Ah, go. you got it. As elderly beings, the geriatric jujitsu gerbils love to call hamburgers hamburger sandwiches. As they do. Yeah. Elderly beings. Sure. Oh, there it goes. I absorbed your accent. Sorry. You can have it back. Thanks. No problem. Now, what in this issue did you love? Like old people love calling hamburgers hamburger sandwiches. I would say that in this issue, my hamburger sandwich was the bus driver... Saying his first iconic oh, his catchphrase, I got a big mouth. <laughs> so good. I don't even care that they use it in all those ads and everything. You know what? I keep expecting there to be diminishing returns. So far, those returns just keep growing. Yep. Ah, wish I had invested. Spoonerism, bus driver. He is the bee's knees. Yeah. And the rest of the bee. He's a real bee. Or the keys. <laughs> oh, that's what he would say because he loved the spoonerisms. Oh, Dr. Ed, you are on fire. Thank you. For my hamburger sandwich, I had the gerbils' adherence to their code of ethics. And uh, I know it was silly, but I loved it when they were driving around because uh, they they made Zeke read the map even though Zeke's sleeping. <laughs> in the car and it can only turn it, left oh, and to keep so going. Good. Those gerbils. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Ah, Couldn't get enough of it. There's that old adage in comedy. What happens three times is funny. Mm. So when it's happened... At this point, 289 times, even funnier. Exponential, well. Yeah, I can't do the math on that. I'm not a doctor like you, but it's funny. That's the important thing. Yeah. Conversely, we all know that gerbils are allergic to rhubarb. Kills them dead. Yep. Yet they will just eat it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the doc gerbils will. As we established in that, uh, that unfortunate storyline. I say unfortunate, I just mean sad. It felt, when I was a kid and I was reading it, I, I thought it was so unfair. I put down my Gerbils comic book and was like, I'm not reading the Gerbils anymore. Yeah, it lasted about five minutes. Oh, sure. Yeah, how long can a kid go without reading a geriatric jujitsu gangrene, uh, uh, geriatric gangrene jujitsu Gerbils comic book? About five minutes. Exactly. <laughs> At least in my case, that was certainly the case. But, uh... Yeah, so uh, what in this issue uh, did you find, if if anything, in this uh, nearly perfect issue? As we discussed, <laughs> there are certainly some things that uh, 
when taken in the context of modern times, are a little bit jarring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what what things, if anything, did you not like about this comic? Yeah, so as we mentioned, I wasn't a big fan of uh, Dr. Proper's over-sexualized, uh, overly sexualized such, yeah. uh, attire. That wasn't great. But I think the thing that stuck with me as being the biggest bummer was the, like, how did that dog fit in that hot dog bun? It just doesn't make sense. So it was just a confusion because uh, we, we they talked expl- about they, they hadn't, hadn't yet. explained it. See, I see so that more a, as a breadcrumb leading to a later storyline that was very satisfying where we learned about Samurai Sam's bread expansion abilities. I also didn't like that they that he ate the dog. I didn't like that he ate the dog. I'm a fan of dogs. I like dogs. They're good. Sometimes they get a little bit loud Sometimes in the uh, background. Sometimes they'll bark when you're trying to record a podcast. Uh, yeah, but 217th no... episode of a podcast about these, uh, well, half of which have been about these gerbils. The other half, of course, being about the uh, seminal series Young Blood by Rob Liefeld. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I also had that... Uh, I, I didn't like it when uh, Samurai Sam ate the, ate the dog. It uh, makes it harder to take his heroic run seriously. We have the same uh, yeah. rhubarb. Indeed we do. Two rhubarbs. I believe that's all we got for the uh, the minutia. I believe so. Maybe we can just do a, a really quick thing where you say, remember when they were doing that thing where directors were just clamoring, like, who's going to do the next reboot? Sure, sure. And it had this kind of round robin oh, thing yeah. going. And so out of that series of, gosh, I don't even remember how many it came out. What are your two favorite directors Oh, that, that did the reboot huh. during the round robin? Gosh. Why, why don't you start this one off? Oh, man. I'm torn. I am torn between, you know, like when a movie's so bad, it's kind of good. Yeah. I'm torn between that. And I think you know where I'm going with this director. Oh. But the whimsy, the heartwarming music. And the positive messaging of the Wes Anderson reboot okay, is probably my favorite. I liked that one a lot. I thought there was some weird stuff. And uh, frankly, I... The Jason, Jason Schwartzman wasn't a good choice. No, he, he was an odd choice to play the young Giamatti in the film. Mm. Difficult to see Schwartzman aging into Paul Giamatti. And I like it better when they just do like the CGI to make a baby Dr. Giamatti. Right. I mean, Dr. Meltdown. Gosh. Oh, you got me. Every time. Forgetting the right name. I think I preferred the Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> geriatric gangrene jujitsu jambles. Uh, because uh, Daniel Day-Lewis made a very interesting choice for Kaja. And he made some decisions in that. He always he makes He made some decisions. hard choices. Yep. For the worst, I mean, Joel Schumacher's. Hello. I mean, I get the campy, inherent campy vibe that can be a lot of fun. And I like the early one, the, the, the early 80s one that was with, of, of course, uh, you know, Asner and uh, Abe Vigoda and... Uh, the follow-up just seemed mean spirit, almost like he was making fun yeah. of the audience it, for liking this franchise. I felt like, yeah, I felt like... I didn't like, appreciate that. No, I, I feel like Schumacher was not quite my least favorite. I know where you're going with this. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> Certain German fella. You know, he really... Like, okay, making movies about video games is one thing. Right. But when you're taking a beloved franchise like this... I was so nervous he was going to fuck it up. And he did! But in the most beautiful way. Yeah. I know what, we what, disagree about this. I, I don't know. I... 
It would have been fun if I didn't care about these characters so much. Oh, sometimes you gotta loosen up. I guess. Gary. I guess. That's that. They they often call me not loosening. Up. Wait, I'm always telling people to loosen up. Yeah, I'm Gary. Yeah, you're reliable. What was it? A thorough Gary. Thorough Gary. But I'm always telling people, hang loose. Yeah. Fuck nuts. Yeah. Take a drink no of offense. your own medicine. Don't mind if I do. Oh, I drink all mine. <laughs> Some things never change. I had to. <laughs> Through universes. <laughs> it's weird. But yeah, so for worst slash best, my vote is uh, Uwe Boll. Yeah, Uwe Boll's geriatric gangrene jujitsu gerbils. I can understand where it would have been fun if I could just uh, let my love of these characters go a little bit. It was it was more enjoyable than the Schumacher, I'll give you that. <sighs> Fair. Either of the Schumachers. More enjoyable than the Joel Schumacher. More, more enjoyable than the Willie Shoemaker. <laughs> I don't know why they let him make a movie. He really didn't know what he was doing. He's a wonderful jockey, but it seemed an odd choice to let him have the reins of a multi-million dollar franchise like this. So to speak. Have the reins. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. All the time. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, odd choice. I think overall we can agree bad choice. Yeah, but, you know, when life gives you lemons, you just get back on that horse. That's true. That's true. And I I understand they are making a spin-off movie of beloved geriatric gangrene jiu-jitsu's gerbil uh, side character, Lemon Horse. Oh, really? Yeah, Lemon Horse is getting his own feature, finally. Oh, my goodness. Finally. The world Leighton is ready. Meester is going to be in it. Huh? And she's an actress. Oh. You might remember her from uh, the Juve Bowl movie, uh, Dungeon Siege. Farmers... Castle Siege. Oh, no, that's the follow-up. Dungeon Siege, Castle Farm Quest, man. Castle Siege. With Ray Liotta? I thought it was Dungeon Siege. Well, <laughs> that's been another episode of <laughs> Loosen Up the Offense. A podcast that definitely has a catchphrase, and that catchphrase is, hang loose, fuck nuts, no offense. I've been Gary. This is Dr. Ed. Hang loose, fuck nuts, no offense. are you doing in here what are you a cop gary get out of here sorry about that guys i i hope gary and ed didn't mess things up too badly while Corey and me were gone we'll be back next week with a regular episode in the meantime happy april 1st